0: You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. This morning we're gonna jump right in and we're gonna be tackling the the again, continuing with this series of gifts of grace. And tackling the subject of sanctification. Last week, we, uh, Jordan put, brought, us, uh, he brought some light to justification, what Scripture teaches us about justification, and that our positional alignment with God, that understanding that through Christ, our debt to sin has been completely paid, and, and that Christ's righteousness, His perfection has been placed on us, And so that God views us in light of, or through the lens of Christ's sacrifice, what Christ has done for us. This just keeps building. And so now now all those who have been justified are then set on a path to be shaped, to be molded, to live our lives more and more like Jesus. And and my hope is that, as we're going to see, the focus is still completely on Jesus and giving God the glory through our lives lived through him and for him. The, the goal of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is not focused on some self-help or self-focused motivation. There, there's nothing more detrimental than if all we get from Scripture are little nuggets that make me feel better today or make me have a better idea of myself. Scripture and prayer and meditation and our worship of God should draw us into amazement at God's glorious grace in our lives. The fact that He even cared for us to begin with to send His Son Jesus should overwhelm us. So the goal of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives is not this self-help or self-focused motivation, but instead... And only that, even now, we would begin to reflect the current reality that we have been adopted into the family of God and live under a new and eternally better authority. But before we do that, we're going to go all the way back to creation. And you may be thinking, well, how long is it going to take us to get from there to where we're supposed to be? We'll see how it goes. Uh, The first point there is is focusing on restoring Eden, and there's a reason that I've chosen this to kind of be in, in the foreground as we begin thinking through this. When we go back to Eden, when we go back to creation, we were created in the image of God. All of humanity, all of us as human creatures were created in the image of God to God spent all the time creating all the plants, the animals, all the things that we're not going to spend the time talking about. And then he gets to mankind. And the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were gathered together and then man was created in the image of God to reflect God among the rest of his creation. Not perfectly as if we were God, but as an image of God, a representation of God among his creation. Now, it doesn't take us too long as we're going through Genesis to realize that sin puts a stop to that opportunity. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So because of sin, we're unable to reflect, to live to the standard of God's glory. We have marred the intended beauty of our design. And so when we go back to Eden, there is a focus in our sanctification that I think you'll see play out where there's a restoration process taking place. God's glory hasn't changed. His holiness hasn't changed. If you go back to the series that we did as we're walking through all of Scripture and looking at the, the arc of Scripture, we understand that in the Old Testament, God's glory was still there. In the New Testament, God's glory was still there. That standard didn't change, but our opportunity and the way in which we could come to God significantly changed with Christ. So we have this restoration, then, of the divine image. If we're to be imitators of the God that created us, and yet sin has broken and marred that, then change needs to occur. Some of that change needs to be, first and foremost, found in a heart and life conformity. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4, 24. He says, "...and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness in colossians 3 verse 10 he says and have and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator so our desire most fundamentally should be to pursue life as god designed it to be But not only do we build on that foundation, but we don't don't just aim in the dark. Our focus is sharply focused on Jesus Christ. The focus of our pursuit of holiness and godliness is narrowly focused in the New Testament on Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, there there was God's holiness and, and there was a lot of restriction around how you could even get near to that. And yet, through Christ, we're brought nearer than ever before. Colossians 3.11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So I say all of that to to funnel us down to what exactly is sanctification. And I'm going to give us a definition And it's hard to encapsulate in just a a brief amount of words exactly all that sanctification is, but we'll begin to unpack it a little bit this morning. But to define sanctification, sanctification then is the work of God's grace by progressively renewing the whole person through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, to be more and more free from sin by being more and more like Jesus in our lives. So our allegiance then changes at justification. There's a stark change that occurs at that moment. One, our debt is paid. Ultimately, Christ's death was death to sin. Romans 6.10, for the death he died, Jesus died, he died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. All its wages, all sin's wages have been paid in his death. Sin's claims on God's children are exhausted. They're spent. They've run its course. But not only is our debt paid off, Something even more comes from that, that that we are adopted. There's this repossession that occurs, that we are brought by the Spirit to share in Christ's death to sin, so that in Christ, the reign of sin has ended, and we are no longer sin's subjects. We are transferred to a new authority, as we see it throughout Scripture We've been adopted into a new family, which means then that we live under another banner. We answer to someone entirely different than we did before Christ. Christ's resurrection in the power of the Spirit was a resurrection into life. Romans 1, 3-4, concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The life he lives then is a life to God, Romans 6.10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And then in union with him by the spirit to live to God, Romans 6.4. We were buried therefore with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so, our allegiance, because of Christ, when we put our faith in Christ, our allegiance completely changes. We, we are no longer bound by sin death and hell but through Christ's death we are buried with him our sin our the payment of our sin has been paid and we are brought into a new life there are some dangers though that we have to be aware of and that Paul doesn't shy away away from either you can look at, at Romans six with me. I'll read a, a, just a couple passages from there, but then we'll spend the majority of our time in Colossians. But one of, one of the dangers that we have when we come to sanctification, realize, well, if God has done it all, then why does it matter how I live my life? So that there is a danger to view God's work on our behalf and take sin lightly, to think it doesn't matter. To think that no change should occur in our lives once we have put our faith in Christ. Or worse, that we use it to excuse our sin by being careless to what it took for God to pay the debt of our sins. Thankfully, Paul addresses this specifically. Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? After he's just reflected on the on the goodness of God and all that Christ has done for us and the grace that He's poured out on us and the radical change that occurs, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, absolutely not. Why? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Your 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 allegiance has changed. Why would you live like you still live? in the household of sin. You no longer need to yield to that master. He's lost. Christ broke the power of sin. We no longer have to obey our old master. We are set free to live as members of God's household, as adopted sons and daughters. So one danger of sanctification is carelessness. But the other danger, which scripture also addresses, is earthly perfectionism. The other danger is to think too highly of ourselves or downplay the reality of sin that still dwells within us. Paul deals with this mindset well when he deals with the church in Philippi. You read his letter in Philippians, and he's encouraging these people about all the things that Christ has done, but he also understands that they are having this tendency to think too highly of themselves, to think, well, I'm better than everyone else because we've done X, Y, Z. And as he addresses the people and how they should live their lives and direct their lives, he says this in Philippians 3.12 using his own self as an example and all the things that he has done for the glory of God. And he says, listen, not that I have already obtained this and not that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I do what I do because I am Christ's. And I am part of a new family. While Paul helps show us the amazing reality of what Christ has done for us, Paul and and others all throughout Scripture encourage Christians, encourage followers of Jesus who have been justified, who have been radically changed, and they continue to use words like this, to strive, to toil, to strain, to pick up your cross, to pursue we are called to run a race. We don't run that race as if we're just crossing our fingers hoping to win on the other side. found one writer in particularly helpful here where he says during World War II, D-Day, which is that decisive intervention of the Allied forces invasion of Europe in 1944, took place a year before the coming of VE Day, the end of the war in Europe in 1945. In the interim, the battles remained fierce and bloody, even although the decisive act had already taken place. And so it is in redemptive history. The D-Day of Redemption has already taken place in Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and his giving of the Holy Spirit. He has acted decisively against the powers of sin, Satan and death, which tyrannized his people. Yet the skirmishes with sin, as well as with Satan and death, continue to be severe. They are real and painful, but they take place within a different context from any struggle against sin that marked the old life in Adam from which the spirit was absent." Now the Christian engages in conflict with sin from the standpoint of deliverance from the prisoner of war camp. The decisive victory over the dominion of sin is a present reality in the spirit. The final victory is assured, but there is still bloodletting and the whole armor of God must be worn. The Christian is still under the treatment of the Holy Spirit, but victory day is yet to come. We see this confirmed by the fact that Paul follows that statement in the beginning of Romans 6 of saying, should we just continue to sin and and, and allow God's grace to just abound? Absolutely not. He follows up, though, with these imperatives for us. We need to realize that in Christ the reign of sin is ended and you have died to sin, Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He also goes on and he says, do not let sin reign existentially since it has no authority over you. Romans 6.12, let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. He builds on that and says, do not allow your body to be offered in mercenary service to sin, attracted by the immediate pleasures of it. Romans 6.13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. And finally, deliberately yield yourself to the Lord as one who recognizes his new identity as someone who has been brought from death to life. Put the members of your body in the arsenal of the Lord, Romans 6.13, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. The joy of justification is that Christ has paid our debt and we are released from paying it off on our own. The joy of the Holy Spirit's ongoing work through sanctification is that God is at work in us. So how do we live this out? We'll go to Colossians chapter three. This is where we'll spend the rest of our our time. Colossians chapter three. How do we actually live out our sanctification? We've built that foundation of, of where we see it taught in scripture, but how do we see this play out in everyday life? First in Colossians three, we're gonna go all the way down to verse 17. And I want us to see, what what is God's vision for our lives? What, What does God want for you? And here we have it in verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. God's vision... For our life is seen in two things. One, he wants to see us more integrated with him than when you were converted. Meaning that he wants to see the life we live reflect more of his son Jesus than it did the day we met him in saving grace. But not only that, but that we're to grow in greater gratitude and gladness giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Our becoming more and more like Jesus doesn't result in more fingers pointing at us and saying, look at how good I am. Real change that reflects Christ's likeness says, praise the Lord for He rescued me and He is changing me. We can go throughout scripture. We're not going to take the time this morning. We can go throughout scripture of godly individuals who are met with God or an angel of God and their life's seemingly perfect. They're being used greatly of God and they go before a heavenly being or they see the presence of God and what do they do? They crumple, realizing I am not worthy. I am a sinner And there is shame between me and you. What we must see is that our standing right now is that we are free from sin and free and placed on a path to freely pursue a life that is focused on becoming more like Christ. Not to point at ourselves to ultimately point to the work that god has done is doing and will complete in eternity so this is god's vision for your life so how do we how does that become our life let's jump all the way back to verse one and don't worry we're not going all the way back down to verse 17 we're going to look at verses one through four First and foremost it's it's this beginning statement if then verse 1 chapter 3 in Colossians if then you have been raised with Christ if you have been raised with Christ this matters for everything that's about to follow This is our our position in Christ. It It is what puts us on the path of growing to be more like Christ, that we have been raised with Christ. Not that I've done all the right things, not that I've checked all the right boxes, not that I've ushered my family into church as consistently as possible, not that I was born in the right family, not that I was baptized, not that I did this or that. If then you have been raised with Christ, understand this, we, we have to go back to Colossians 1 through 2, which helps us see that Christ is everything. I'm going to summarize Colossians 1 through 2 this way. All that is good comes from Him. He is the one who obeyed God's law perfectly. He is the one that sacrificed Himself for our benefit. He is the one that was raised from the dead to break, break the power of sin. And without this, without his intervention, our best efforts would still be wrapped in the bondage of sin. I was reflecting a, a week ago, knowing I was going to be thinking through this topic and I just used kind of our American culture and society and all the things as Christians that frustrate us about the way our culture is going. And yet, what is the goal of our culture? What is the goal of our society? We want peace. We want everyone to feel included. We really want all the right and good things, but the way we get there is actually focusing more internal and me-focused, while tearing apart the threads of community in our society. The reality, reality is, the closer we are to God, the more we are united with Him, our relationships with one another grow. God calls us to unity and togetherness, and all tribes, tongues, everyone gathers together in unity to worship Him. The more we move God out of the picture, the more we get focused on me. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the most important thing here. And so our best efforts as a society to do what is best has led then, just to give a couple of examples of how well we're doing at this, has led to murder of the unborn out of convenience and the mutilation of of a person's body for the sake of what an individual feels. The further we move away from God, the more we tear apart His design for a life that truly thrives. Paul tells us in Colossians that when we turn from our sin, when we receive Jesus' payment for our sin, not only is our sin debt paid, but we are raised with Christ from the stranglehold of sin and united with Jesus. We are adopted into God's family and what was once enjoyed in Eden is now being restored within us. We need Jesus. We need to be raised with Christ. When we put our faith in him, The payment of our sin is paid for by dying with him. And we receive new life through his resurrection. So first and foremost, we need to be raised with Christ in order to pursue him. But then, yes, we move on. Raised with Christ to what? Verse 1. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God of God. We are to pursue Christ. Our greatest treasure as followers of Jesus must be Jesus himself. There is a reason when we get to the New Testament, everything focuses on Christ. The reason we get so excited this time of year is not because of all the, the wonderful things about Christmas. It's because of the reason for Christmas. Christmas. That without Christ, we would have had nothing, and so why would anything change if we've come to that realization in our saving faith in Christ? What would change our mind after that but to totally pursue Him? Scripture calls us to follow Him as our model. As I was thinking through this point, it reminded me of the, I don't don't even know if they're still around, but the WWJD bracelets. And, and actually, I, I learned about WWJD before I knew Christ. And uh, there were, I'll tell you a quick story, rabbit trail, all right? Uh, there, there were a couple of girls I was in, I was in cello lessons. So for those of you that didn't know, I play the cello. And I'm waiting for my cello teacher and I'm sitting there, there's a couple of girls that I thought were cute and they were wearing these WWJD bracelets and I was like, oh, hey, what do those WWJD things stand for? And they said, well, it stands for We Want Jack Daniels. I, I shared that with my mother later on that day. She disagreed uh, with, with that and set me straight. But here's, here's our point as we pursue Jesus Christ. Everything we do, should be to to honor the new life we have in Christ. Not as a repayment, because there's nothing to repay, but because He is our life itself. What would it look like if all our lives started with, I just want to live like Jesus? He's my model. I want want to live for him. Not to give myself glory, but I I want to live a life that fully gives God the glory. He builds right on that. Paul, as he's working through this, he says, set your mind, verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things of earth. Fix your mind on the things above. This puts more the focus on the what of our focus. Before, when we were in bondage to sin, even in our best efforts, we eventually become inwardly focused or hopeless in our efforts. But as we pursue God, and He shapes and molds us through the Holy Spirit, to be more like His Son, Jesus. We pursue heavenly things rather than earthy, fleshly, sinful pursuits. A good place to start is a passage we're probably all very familiar with if you've been around the church much. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise think about these things be aware of what you're saying to yourself We're constantly talking to ourselves, right? Like it's the real us sitting somewhere in our heads, talking to us. And if you're sitting there right now going, no, I don't, you just did. (laughs) Okay, we all do it, right? Be aware, though, of what we're saying to ourselves. Go back to Eden once more. Adam and Eve didn't just jump into sin without first justifying it in their own minds, and Proverbs fourteen twelve warns us, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. How do we see these things in Philippians and throughout Scripture come to play in our lives? And some of these things are probably not brand new, to us. Many of us have called them our spiritual disciplines, but may I suggest that we rethink how we look at these spiritual disciplines, not as a check mark to think, oh, I finally arrived, or look at how good I am, but instead as an opportunity to allow God's spirit to continue to shape and mold us to be more like Christ. And what did Christ do ultimately? He gave glory to God through his very life and death and resurrection. So how do we do this? We spend time in his word. We have to saturate our lives with his word. Get into it. Read it. Learn it. Strive to understand it. Which brings me to a point that's right on the same line with this. Be in the word, saturate your time with him and your life with prayer. Why do I say that? Because prayer helps us understand and rightly apply what we are reading in his word. We have plenty of people that can go through scripture and go, well, I think I want it to mean this. We need God's help to help us rightly interpret and apply his word. Jesus even warns the Pharisees. He says, look, you you know the Scripture. You know what leads to eternal life. But you've missed the application entirely. John 5, 39, 40. Just imagine this interaction with me. Jesus is talking with these Pharisees who know the Scriptures backwards and forwards. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The Pharisees thought they had it all figured out. They studied it inside and out but they were missing the very Savior that had been talked about who is standing right in front of them. So yes, we need to be in God's Word. We need to saturate our lives in it, but we need to run to God in prayer to help us understand and apply rightly His Word. Which leads to the next point of meditation. Allow God's Word to just... Soak your life. We need it to impact us. It's so easy to read it and then run away and think, well, here's my thought, and forget everything that God's trying to teach us in his word. So we need to meditate. We also need to be in a community that is serious about Jesus. Be in a community that is serious about Jesus. In one way, that's a great shameless plug to join a small group, right? You need to be around other people who are walking a similar walk as you, but that also have a love and a drive to pursue Jesus to come alongside you, at times walking beside you, at times pulling you along, at times warning you, at times rejoicing with you. But we need to be part of communities that are serious about Jesus. So, in fact, if we find a church where loving Jesus gets a side eye, walk out that church. We need to, as a body of believers, be all about Jesus. And unashamedly so. If you're too on fire, then we've missed the point of why we're gathered together. We need to love Jesus beyond anything else. And then finally, intentional living. Live out your walk in every area of life. Allow your growth to be more like Jesus, to make a difference in the way you do life. What would it look like if you just took Philippians 4.8 and you began to be intentional about it. So Lord, help, help me see from your word how these characteristics can be mine. How do I see Christ live them out? How do I see the examples you've laid out for me in your word? How has it played out? Lord, help me to live in that way. What would it look like if we intentionally lived out in every area of our life? what he's teaching us from his word? What would it look like if we were more intentional as moms and dads with our kids in guiding them and disciplining them and teaching them the way of life and teaching them how to draw closer to the Lord? What would it look like if we were more intentional about that? Notice I'm not saying giving it more and more effort. I'm saying being more intentional. That means we're saying this is what God shares with us Here's how we're going to live our lives. What would it look like for a husband and wife in their relationship to say, Look, no matter what I want, I want what God wants for our marriage. I want what God wants for you. What would it look like if in our businesses we said, No matter whatever happens, I want to be all about Jesus and showing the hope of Jesus Christ through the efforts and the abilities and the talents and the opportunities that he lays before me. What would it look like if we were more intentional about living out through our sufferings? Maybe it is terminal illness. What would it look like to be intentional about saying, this isn't it. This is okay. And to spend the remaining time that you have being intentional about the life you have remaining. To point others to the hope that you have in Christ. That through even death, those that remain, we don't mourn as if everything has been completely lost. We mourn as those with hope. Not hope within ourselves and our efforts, but because of what Christ has done. And will do. Here's the amazing part, though. When you fail, don't become so devastated that you lose hope. Colossians 3 3. Why? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. In God. There are new mercies to be found every moment of every day. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Remember, God is at work in you and he is using the everyday moments of life to smooth out the sharp and jagged areas of life. Like sea glass in the ocean starts out as something jagged and sharp, but through the stormy seas, the glass is made into something beautiful. Through the work of Christ on the cross, we are positionally perfect through Christ. Justification. But God has immersed us in the Holy Spirit now so that even now we can learn and grow to be more like Jesus, more like the way he designed us to be in Eden, to be in community with him and with one another. So when you have offended God, go to him. Go to your father and find his grace. Find his mercy. Find His forgiveness. Find His love. And find all of this based on His provision alone, not your ability. So we bring this all then to a close. Colossians 3 4. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Eden restored. There is coming a day when God will raise up and renew our earthly bodies so that no longer will our spirit be at war with our old sinful ways. Colossians 2, 4, 16 and 18 And Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so on that day, We will once again be reunited with our God without shame to live for Him in a world that is ruled by Him without the detrimental effects of sin. And so, how can we not echo together the way Revelation ends in excited anticipation for the culmination of Christ's work at the cross and the Holy Spirit's work in our ongoing sanctification? When God's new world is revealed. Revelation 22:20. 20, he who testifies to these things says surely I Jesus am coming soon. And our response is an amen. Come Lord Jesus. For those who have been raised with Christ, we look forward to this day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your spirit who, for those of us who have put our faith in you, are, are working in us even now to shape and mold us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, help our lives to completely reflect you. That our lives do not be about us, but that that the thing that we are most known for is giving you glory with everything we do, sharing the hope of your son Jesus with the world around us, and making every aspect of our lives to be guided by you so that others will not only hear of your goodness, but see you working it out in your children. We love you, and we thank you for these reminders. Help us now to go out and live these things among those that desperately need to hear about the hope of Jesus Christ. Let us not waste these moments that we have, and it's in Christ's name that we pray.